morning, uh, you're going to find that in these 17 verses, a number of the verses sound familiar. And that's because David is drawing upon things that he's previously written. He's drawing upon the things that God has previously spoken. And he's putting them all together in a prayer. He's in a dire situation. And uh, it has been a long time in this situation. He has been waiting faithfully upon God. And he has been praying fervently for God to do something. And uh, he is waiting for that answer. And as he goes through Psalm 86, he reminds God of his promises. And uh, so we'll be reading this. I want to read it together before we begin. And um, I want us to focus on what does God want me to know when I'm in these seasons of prayer? What is it that God wants me to know? I, I can't speak for the Sumter family. I can't speak for Sonia. But the morning that I got word that Pastor Don had died, I could hardly breathe. And I remember as soon as I hung up the phone, I, I just fell on my face and I just said, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, um, of course, it wasn't um, questioning God. It was a, I was wondering, how are you using this? What is it we're, what, are, what are we to learn? What are we to do? And uh, I spent much time asking the Lord to help us to under, understand what, what work is it that he's doing in our midst. But, you know, I have to say that God never missed a second. Uh, God was always where he was. He never forsook us. He's always blessed, and you know, I praised him over and over again that he's in the midst of his people. And this is a great blessing. Even though in the midst of what we would perceive as tragedy, what we would see as a great calamity, God said, this is a great opportunity because I want you to learn more about me. I want you to claim my promises. I want you to have a better hold on what I want to do with you and your life, and, and yes, with his church. This is his church. And so this is what David, I think, is trying to stress in this psalm right here. He knew God. He knew God's promises. He, had, he was very familiar in his relationship with God. And throughout this psalm, David reminds God who he is, what he has declared himself to be, and his unwavering faith and confidence in God and in his word. And so during the month of January, James wanted to focus on prayer in our, uh, uh, in our messages and throughout the month. And so uh, he um, gave us this lesson for today in starting the new year with prayer. And I think Psalm 86 is a very fitting place to start. Let's look at it together. If you have it, we'll take just a moment to read it. Um, my notes don't necessarily go in order, so it'll be, you'll be jumping around a little bit. So I wanted to read it together first in its entirety. Psalm 86, beginning verse 1. Bow down thine ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. 
O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods, there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblings of violent men have sought after my soul, and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me, and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant, and save the son of thine handmaid. Show me a token for good, that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed, because thou, Lord, hast holpen me and comforted me. And so Psalm 86 is David's great plea for God to hear and answer and save. And so we're going to look at Psalm 86 together this morning. There's an interesting illustration of a man back in the day when uh, people carried pagers. I remember one time I was uh, uh, doing some hospital visitation at MCV. And at the time I carried a, a little beeper so they could find us when we were here on the property. And uh, so I'm, I'm going down the hallway and somehow I got into a group of doctors. Apparently they were... Um, uh, all of them in, I don't know, anyway, they were all together. There was like a half a dozen or more of them together, and they were all talking, and I ended up right at the tail end of that group, and all of a sudden, we heard a beeper go off, and every, <laughs> all of us stopped, and everybody started looking at their beeper, and everybody was standing in the hallway looking at their beeper. Is it you? Is it you? <laughs> no. Now, finally, whoever it was uh, got the message and said, we're okay, keep going. And, and, but I just remember everybody froze in the hallway while we all looked at beepers. Well, there was a man that worked as a messenger for a photo lab, and he received a message on his beeper one day instructing him to pick up a package at an unfamiliar company with a long, difficult name. And so he stopped and he looked skyward and exclaimed, God, where am I supposed to go? And just at that moment, the beeper went off again, and there on his beeper was the address. And he, he said, praise the Lord. All right. And so a man nearby who watched that said, God, why don't you answer me like that? You know, sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Sometimes we would love for God to just answer us immediately and not go through asking and asking and asking. 
Uh, and sometimes God does give direct answers, but uh, not usually on a beeper. But uh, we would like that. But that's not always the way God wants us to learn to walk with him. He wants us to walk with him and let him share with us as we walk. And so um, I need to learn to pray more effectively. I need to learn uh, what God wants me to learn in bringing situations into my life um, so that I will walk with him. All right. Sometimes those situations come and the lesson is walk with me and we need to learn that. And so Psalm 86 gives us this helpful lesson on prayer. Um, You know, I I mentioned that David uses verses that he has written uh, and used elsewhere in the Psalms. He's quoting God uh, and verses from other passages of Scripture. And so our prayer doesn't have to be 100% original. In fact, we want to remind God of his promises as we pray. Um, But God is looking for a heartfelt cry from people who trust him and trust his word and claim his promises. And so David cries out with his great need. And um, in verses uh, 1 through 7, he cries out in a great need for God to hear him and act on his behalf. He tells God of the situation he's in, and I need you to answer me. And then in verses 8 through 10, he stops and spends time in deliberate praise. You'll notice that he's not received an answer from God yet, but he's in in deliberate praise of God. Again, reminding God of his greatness and his long-suffering, his mercy, his goodness. He's praising God uh, even though he's not had a direct answer to prayer. Then verses 11 through 13, David asks God to teach him. Teach me your way. And help me uh, to walk with you. Teach me your way. Help me to understand what you want me to know so I can glorify your name forever. And sometimes that's why situations come into our lives is so that we will glorify God and use that as a testimony before others. And then finally, the last uh, three verses, verses 14 through 17, uh, David again focuses on his fierce enemies And he claims God's promises uh, for mercy and grace to deliver him. And and so that's a typical outline for us. In most of our situations, when we are praying over a great need that we have, this is a typical outline. And so we're going to look at four uh, four things that we should consider when our needs drive us to pray. And isn't that a shame? Our great needs drive us to pray. We want to change that, don't we? And so four questions we want to look at. Why should we pray? To whom should we pray? How should we pray? And what should we pray for? Let's see what the next slide comes up. Why should we pray? We should pray because we have great needs. Now, many of us here would look around and say, Uh, God's been really good to me. Uh, My needs are not that great. I'm not going through a great trial of affliction right now. And so maybe I I don't need 
uh, that right now. Maybe my needs are not so great. But David didn't feel that way. In verse 1, David said, Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. David, remember, he's king. And yet he says, I am poor and needy. All right? I am king, and yet I am poor and needy. I need the God of the universe to bow down his ear and hear me. And sometimes we, we need to recognize that we don't have answers within ourselves. Everything, many times, most of the things that we pray for are beyond our ability to provide or beyond our strength to do. And so David said right off the bat, I am poor and needy. I have specific needs. He's in a day of trouble. There, are, there is a band of arrogant and violent men that seek his destruction. And David was deeply aware of his need. And sometimes pride blinds us to admitting our need. I think one thing that we will experience when we get to heaven is I think God will reveal to us how much we really did need God through our lifetime. How many times he really did provide for us and we didn't take notice of it. How many times he protected us and we weren't really aware of his great protection and uh, his great hand of blessing upon us. I think we'll spend much time in, in humble adoration for what he did for us while we were here on earth. And so a lot of times we reach the point when nothing else will work and we've done all that we can do and we say, the only thing that's left is for me to pray. And that's a sad resort. Uh, it's sad that we, we, uh, we view it that way. Uh, this is a good quote from John Bunyan and uh, one that I wish I could remember. I probably can't. Uh, but John Bunyan said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed. You cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And so we get it backwards. I've done everything that I can do, so I'm going to pray. And yet the word of God admonishes us to pray and then do what you can do. All right? And prayer should be our first resort. And the main pre, uh, reason that people don't cry out to God to save them is because uh, they don't see their sins as being all that bad. They're not terrorists. They're not child molesters. They haven't robbed a bank. They haven't done any of these things. I'm really not as bad as I could be. I've, I've done some good things. And uh, surely God will recognize uh, my efforts and my intentions. Uh, and so maybe I'm not as bad as other people. All right. And they've neglected getting saved because they don't see their great need. And yet when we come to the word of God and we recognize how God sees us, we we cry out, I'm but a worm. Uh, I am. A, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. And those are hard words to utter sometimes. And yet uh, some people, because of pride, will not see or admit their great need that they have before God. I'm doing okay. I don't have a desperate need. I'll cry out to God when I'm in trouble. All right? And it may be too late. It may be too late. But, you know, even as a Christian, we 
sometimes allow pride to get in our way and we forget that we have an adversary. Who is that adversary? Satan. And the Bible says that we're to be sober, we're to be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And yet we let our pride keep us from praying. Uh, we let our pride keep us from recognizing our great need. And that's why I say, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to find out how much we needed God and how much he did for us in spite of our recognition of it. And so we overlook also the strong appeal of, an, of indwelling sin that lurks within us. We, we covered this when we covered the lessons on the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul wrote, uh, for the uh, flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that ye would. And so we don't recognize our own selfishness. We don't recognize our own weaknesses. Uh, we compensate for things and we compare against ourselves against others and not against God's word. But when we line our lives up against God's word, we see our need. And that's why we need to be in God's word to help us understand our great need. And so David's first request was, God, show me my great needs that only you can meet. These are the, these are the things that you can do and only you can do them. And then secondly, to whom should we pray? Well, uh, if you were to listen to the world, they would say that there are alternatives out there. There are help groups and there are um, doctors and um, a unique trick and all these different things you see on the internet. You know, you should try this. Wait a minute. God is the only one who has the power to hear and answer. And so notice we should pray to the only true God, great in power, love, grace, and mercy. <clears throat> and so uh, we're to pray uh, uh, to the one true God. Um, only uh, uh, God can answer our prayers. And I want to emphasize that David knew his God. David knew him. And David knew what he could do. David knew his attributes. David knew his promises. And David knew that he answered prayer. He had experienced answered prayer. You've experienced answered prayer. Don't forget that. Remind God of answered prayer. And not just answered prayer on your behalf, but answered prayer on behalf of others. And remind God that he is a God that hears and answers prayer, that he keeps his promises. We have to know that he is good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call on him. David basically uh, pits uh, who God is against his enemies because he knew God was uh, the only true God, great in power. And so that's our next verse. Verses uh, 8 through 10, we've, we've already referred to these. Uh, God is the only true God, great in power. Notice he says, among the gods, there is none like unto thee. Among the gods, we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit. And in David's day, there were false gods. We don't perhaps see them so much in our life, but they're around. 
they're there, uh, but they were false gods. They were idols who were absolutely powerless to even hear, let alone answer. And there were demons, some who could respond in some form, but it was an, uh, an evil response. And so God's, uh, David said, among the gods, there is none like unto thee, O Lord. You are the one and only true God. You're the one and only God who can hear and has the power to answer our prayers. And so we need to re be reminded that Satan is also called the God of this world or this age. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And then Jesus uh, speaks along the same line here in John chapter 12. He says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. That day is yet to come. But right now, he is the God of this world, and that's Satan. And the whole world lies in his power. 1 John 5, 19, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Do you feel like that? It feels like that, doesn't it? Um, ISIS beheaded, what, uh, 11 people uh, on Christmas Day, something like that. Um, uh, they were Christians, of course. Um, but the whole world lies in wickedness. This is Satan's domain, and at the present, he is the God of this age and this world. Paul reminds us um, that, the, that, uh, that there were many gods and many lords in heaven and earth, uh, speaking of demons. He says, for though thou, uh, there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God, and I would not that ye would have fellowship with these devils. Demons, of course, are spirit beings organized under the leadership of Satan himself, and they possess great power over individuals and even nations. And God says, be mindful of those things. Our God is not of that nature, not at all. Uh, even the Antichrist uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 9, it says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. He's going to be capable of doing amazing things. And it's going to, it's going to turn many to follow him and ultimately Satan. Uh, but one day, God is going to judge. Let me read uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. Revelation 20, uh, we're, we're at the end of time here. And uh, the, the scene is that all of the, the camp of saints have been collected together and surrounded by the armies of Satan, uh, the armies of the Antichrist. And listen, Revelation 20, verses 9 and 10. And they went up uh, on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. So that day is coming when 
Jerusalem, Israel, the, 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 the Jewish people will be saved in a day. And that's when Satan and his demons are going to be destroyed by fire and cast into the lake of fire. And so we have a present promise in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. And that is, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we shouldn't be walking with our hands dragging on the ground, woe is me. We should recognize that in spite of trial and tribulation and difficulty and maybe deprivation, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And we need to claim those promises. And so to whom should we pray? We should pray because God is the only true God, great and power. Let's just read that again. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. And so God, at a time that God determines, he's going to say enough. And he's going to take control of the world once again, take it away from Satan, and he will sit on the throne of David, and he will establish his kingdom forevermore. And so God is the only true God, great in power. And then God is great in love, grace, and mercy. Two verses that I think are highlighted in this psalm is verse 5 and verse 15, and they are both, they are both similar. And I want to share with you the origin of these verses. Let's look at them quickly. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee, down in verse 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. David is quoting the self-declaration of God. This, uh, hopefully, you would recognize these verses. They comes from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. You remember, Moses said, God, show me yourself. Let me see you. And what was God's response? No man can see me and live. But what did God say he would do? He put Moses in the cleft of a rock and he said, I will allow you to see my hinder parts. And as he walked before Moses, he cried out these words in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. Can you hear the thunder in his voice? Oh, my merciful and gracious long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. These are the words of God himself right here before Moses, and we have them recorded, thankfully, in God's word. And these these verses, these two verses, are probably one of the most frequently quoted texts in the Old Testament. And David uses them uh, copiously, all right? And David uses it to appeal to God um, to answer his prayer. This is your self-declaration. This is what you have declared yourself to be. 
And so I claim these promises, God, and I know that you are good and you're ready to forgive and you're plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. <clears throat> but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. And so if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, you must come and ask the Lord to forgive because you remember he said he will by no means clear the guilty. You have to come to God and admit you're a sinner and ask him to forgive you of your sin and keep you from God's judgment. What a horrible, terrible thing to face. And as a Christian, that's, we've, we've been delivered from that. God, Jesus Christ suffered our judgment on the cross of Calvary. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, that becomes your end. And we, we don't want that for anyone. As a Christian, <coughs> maybe we failed the Lord by allowing some sin in our life. And now we don't feel worthy to come back before him. And uh, um, we say, I, I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving of your love. Wait. God is gracious. That's what grace is for. God is gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. There is no sin in your life that is so great that God doesn't want you to bring it to him and confess it and give you victory over it. There is no sin that's too great. Don't let pride keep you from experiencing God's abundant love and grace and mercy. And to go, uh, why should we go without when God is so ready to help and so ready to bless and meet our needs, whether they be great or small? Oh, I'm, I, I've sinned, but he's ready to forgive. He's ready to bless. His grace is for the undeserving. And uh, certainly we don't deserve the least of his blessings. But he loves us and he's promised us that he would bless us. And so we should pray because we have great needs. We should pray to God who is great in power, love, and mercy. And so we come to the third question. How should we pray? Well, you'll notice we should pray earnestly. We should pray continually. We should pray thankfully, we should pray in humility, and we should pray in faith. And so we'll look at uh, our first one, praying earnestly. Again, we go back to verse 1. David, remember, this is King David. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and needy. Have we reached that point? Have we ever been that honest with God when we were in, the, in, in great need and in a, in a season of prayer, perhaps, where we had not received direct answer from God yet. Have we gotten to that point? We need to pray earnestly and ask God to bow down his ear and hear me. And uh, if God doesn't answer, David knows he's doomed, all right? But he knows God is going to answer. You'll notice in this psalm, David isn't mumbling some liturgy. It's not some memorized prayer. It's not uh, some methodical prayer. He is earnest in his prayer. It's genuine. It's from the heart. And it's in, in, as a starving man, as a starving beggar, asking for food, for help. And um, I don't know that we've seen 
a real starving beggar. Um, but as you can imagine, who is God going to answer? Or who would you respond to? If uh, a starving beggar and a well-dressed man who happened to be hungry, if both of them appeared at your door and they both uttered the same words, who would you might respond to? Obviously, the one who has, appears to have an obvious need, you would respond. And so God says, don't, don't recite to me methodical uh, liturgy, you know, these, these wordy prayers. We can, we, God wants genuineness from our hearts. And God wants us to admit our great need, remember, and that he's the only one that who can answer it. And so he says, pray to me earnestly. Pray, with, uh, pray to me earnestly. And then he says, pray continually. Can I do that? Well, the psalmist wrote in verse 3, For I cry unto thee daily. Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray without ceasing. Does that mean that I never stop praying? No, that would kind of be impractical. But it means to pray continually, um, nonstop, in, in, in a way that I would keep coming back to pray over and over and over again. I couldn't possibly pray continuously and get anything done. But it's so on my heart and mind that I pray over and over and over again all throughout the day because my need is great and my God is great. And then we're to pray thankfully. Again, in verse 12, David is in this portion of, uh, pass of the passage where he's praising God. He hasn't gotten an answer yet, but he's praising God. And he's praising God because he knows who God is. And in verse 12, he says, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forever. Because even though I've not seen the answer yet, I know it will come. I know you, God, and I know you will bless and answer prayer, and I know you will keep your word. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, uh, I think it was one of the verses that James had in our uh, uh, bulletin this morning. In everything, give thanks. Can we do that? That's hard. Sometimes we've been in situations where we, we might say, I don't know how to give thanks for this, but I'm going to try. All right? Uh, but we're reminded, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God concerning you. And so we have to trust God when we face those times when we can't see beyond our hand. Um, but we have to give thanks. We have to be submissive. And we have to recognize his sovereign hand in our lives and be humble and obedient. And so we prayed thankfully. And then we want to pray in humility. Verse 16. Oh, turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thy handmaid. Don't lose sight of the fact that this is King David. He's putting things in writing that no king would want to put in writing. All right? And that is, he doesn't have the answer. No king wants to appear before his people as not having an answer, not having the power, not having a solution. This is King David. And he's willing to put in writing that I am the son of your handmaid. I need your strength. I need your mercy. I need you 
to turn unto me. And so he doesn't make an angry um, charge against God saying, I deserve better than this. I'm King David. That's not what he says. He says, I am poor and needy. I need to have your mercy upon me. <clears throat> uh, he refers to himself as God's servant, and he admits his weakness. And as I said, these are not the things that a, a king would ever want to put in print, yet David did. And, and he put it in print because he knew the God to whom he was praying. God, uh, David humbly acknowledges his weakness and his need for God's strength. And so prayer isn't asking God to give us a little boost. All right, that's not what we need. He's acknowledging to God and anyone who's listening that his need is total, not partial. I need all of God's attention and I need God's answer. And then we're to pray in faith. Going back to verse 2. Preserve my soul for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. What is he saying? For I am holy. That's not the word that he's using right there that we would first assume. That word means, of course, holy means being set apart. David is reminding God, I have set myself apart from the world unto you, is what he's saying. And he said, I preserve my soul or save me, for I have been set, I have set myself apart from the world. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. And then in verse 7, in the day of my trouble will I call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. David speaks in the affirmative, doesn't he? And uh, David prays in faith. I know that you will hear me. I know that you will deliver me. And he also asks in verse 17 for what does he say in verse 17? Uh, he says, show me a token for good. No answer has come yet. But he said, these vile men, these enemies that seek my life, they are, they are rejoicing, they are gloating that I boast in you and that I boast in your promises and I boast in the fact that you are going to hear me. You are going to save me. You are going to answer. And so he says, uh, verse 17, show me a token for good. Just give me a little something that will stop the mouths of these wicked men that are mocking God and, and uh, seeking my destruction. Faith isn't a matter of closing our eyes uh, to reality and leaping out into the darkness. That's not what faith is. Faith rests on God's revealed character. All right? It's not blindness. It's not blind faith. It's recognizing who God is, what God has promised to do, who he's promised to do it for, and why he's asking you to call upon him. That's one, the last thing we want to talk about this morning. We've, we've learned why we should pray because we have great needs and to whom we should pray to the only true God, great in power, love, and mercy. And how should we pray? We should pray earnestly, continually, thankfully, in humility, and in faith. And finally, what do we pray for? We come back to this. 
Our greatest need is salvation. It may be the salvation of your soul. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and be your savior, that is your greatest need. And until you recognize that need, you are lost and undone and you will face God's judgment alone. And it will be a terrible end. It will be an eternal damnation. In the New Testament, <clears throat> we pray for God to save us from his judgment. Jesus didn't come to save decent folks who needed a little boost in their self-esteem. He came to save sinners. And Paul said, of whom I am chief. And so we need to pray for salvation. If you've never taken that step, that's the first step to, to having God answer prayer. And then we need to pray for joy in trials. We mentioned this as well. And David reminds God, he says, Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. There is joy in the midst of trial. And sometimes uh, it's hard for us to see that. But make the soul of thy servant glad. And uh, we have to, you know, C.H. Uh, uh, Spurgeon said, Ask God to make you miserable unless his conscience presence makes you happy. <clears throat> I don't know that many of us would pray to God to make us miserable, but that's what Spurgeon is talking about. In order for us to recognize the presence of God and the joy and peace it brings into our lives, sometimes I need to be made miserable. So I will recognize God's presence in my life. But God can give joy in the morning if we'll claim his promises. And then here's the point that I feel like God wanted us uh, to know. God wants us sometimes uh, to humble ourselves and say, make me teachable. Make me teachable. There is something that you have for me in this trial. There is some experience that I'm going to be going through. What is it that you want me to learn? How can I use this for your glory? Help me to be obedient. Help me to be single-minded. Help me to have a calm and reverent heart in response to this trial. Uh, David said in verse 11, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. God wants us, as we come out of trial, to reverence his name, to glorify his name, to proclaim his answer to prayer and do it with boldness. A teachable heart is the most essential element of any trial, and that is that we grow and mature. And in fact, uh, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 some curious words. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. My, think of all the things that, that Paul suffered as, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He suffered greatly. Jesus told him that he would suffer great things for his name's sake. Um, but Paul said, that's my prayer. Through all of my trials, through all of my tri uh, uh, tribulations and sufferings, Paul said, I went through that, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. 
It's hard to submit ourselves to God to that point. But that may be the point God is pressing us for. I want you to be teachable. I want you to grow. I want, you to, I want to be able to use you to meet a, a need that someone else is going to be going through over here. And I want you to come out strong so that you can be a source of strength to someone else over here. I want to use your life. I want to use your testimony. I want to use your response to trial and tribulation to encourage others, to be an example, uh, to help you know the fellowship of his sufferings and being made conformable to his death. And last of all this morning, <clears throat> we should pray for God's glory and supremacy overall. Whatever God's answer, whatever God's answer may be, I need to reach the point where I can say, to God be the glory. Whatever the answer. And th that takes great growth in the heart and mind and life of a Christian. But uh, David wrote uh, in uh, verse 9, All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. And verse 12, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. In the midst of trial, let this be your prayer. I want to be able to glorify your name forevermore. I know who you are. I know your promises. I know your power. I know you hear me. I know that you will answer me. I don't know what the answer will be, but I want to have a teachable spirit. And whatever the answer is, I will glorify your name forevermore. And I want to have that spirit. I want to have that attitude. Let's not forget that the Lord is good, ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Abraham Lincoln wrote after the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln wrote that he came to know Christ personally through the burdens that he faced during the Civil War. And you've probably read this quote before, but he said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had absolutely no other place to go. But remember, we began. Let's not let prayer be a last resort. Let's let prayer be our first response. And let's claim the promises of God, remembering who God is, and ask God to pour out his great power, love, and mercy and help us to be a vessel to glorify his name.